Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. Jesus, 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 Jesus likes girls. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. Hello and welcome to season two of Jesus Likes Girls. I know it's been a while, so if you are listening, um, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This season, guys, is going to be different. It's not going to be the same as last season. Uh, Shay and I have agreed that I am taking this season over myself. Just me, Xena, the warrior princess, straight from her living room. And I have to tell you, I have to be honest, I'm really, really nervous and anxious and petrified, actually, to share this season with you. And doing it by myself is... Whew, I think that uh, when you're sexually abused really young, like two, three, your abuse begins, like me, I think that you become bonded to your abuser in a way that's almost like a nurturer. It's incredibly, incredibly insidious. And so you always feel like uh, dependent on another person to be there, usually a person who resembles your abuser in, in some ways to you. And so then going about and accomplishing things with no one, it really feels like no safety net. And it's terrifying. I think I'm a little bit terrified. But recently I was talking to my very, very gifted therapist and she was saying, we were talking about how you have to do the unsafe thing to um, become safe. And it's so counterintuitive, you know? We believe we always have to keep ourselves safe, always avoiding the unsafe, when in actuality, um, if we would do the unsafe, now that we're not children anymore, that we're adults, we have tools, we don't... <laughs> have to keep continuing to live life in the same patterns, you know. Um, we can do things that seem unsafe, but really, it's probably not even that terrifying. What? I'm just sharing a podcast. What's the big deal? And, um, you know, I've decided that my cat, Sherlock, is going to be my co-host this season. So he is here with me on a perch, uh, wrapped up in a blanket, and he appears to be sleeping right now, but that's no matter, no matter. He is 100% invested as my new co-host. We're not going to hear from him much, but I will let you know what Sherlock is doing, maybe his, you know, uh, reactions, some of his, his take on, on what I'm sharing. Okay, so I I decided I couldn't do it completely solo. So Sherlock is here. <sighs> okay, so the podcast. Uh, during COVID, like many of you, I began to do some intensive self-work and entered into therapy like both feet. I was 100% in and it started with one issue and led to ultimately my core issue which is, again, being sexually abused as a kid and the ways that that impacted my life. And so um, what, what really started happening was to look at my parents. And I'm a person who's always 
kept my parents on a pretty high pedestal. That's probably like most of us, you know, we don't really like attributing negative characteristics to our parents. So when my therapist began to really challenge me about my relationship with my mom, you know, that it felt very textbook. I mean, it, initially it just smacks of such rhetoric or bullshit counseling ideas, you know, well, the problems with your mother or whatever, you know. And so it's such a cliche that I think we don't really do it, or at least I hadn't. So I spent some time looking at kind of more foundational things, not just the events that happened, but rather the family response. Why happened? What's going on in the family dynamic that allowed this to happen, that it continued, that once I was aware of it, which wasn't until I was about 20 years old, is the first time I ever had like a, an objective thought about what happened instead of constant denial. Once I had an objective thought and could talk about it with my family, the response from them was very much like, well, kids will be kids. That didn't happen. Yeah, just excuses, excuses for why it happened to me. Uh, and then virtually no conversation about that it happened uh, up until really this project. So through my therapy, I just got to the point where I needed to speak to my parents about the past and my parents and I have a great relationship. We have always been close and we love each other deeply. When that's true about your family and there's abuse within it, it's it's very complicated because you know that you're loved and you know that it happened and reconciling those two things is never easy. So I felt safe enough to call my dad and have a conversation and that led to my mom and I talking. She basically was like, what, what can I do? How can I help you? Because I was really struggling as I was at that point, just really sad and depressed. So my mom was just at this desperate state, like she just wanted to help me and wanted to know what she could do. And so I said, well, would you agree to do a podcast with me? Would you agree to do six episodes where we talk about what happened to me and talk about what happened to you as in your childhood? And she said, let me think about it. And then she came back and she said, yes. And so I spent six weeks talking with her about these topics and it was... Uh... <laughs> It was, it was really hard. It was very difficult work for me and for her. And I'm really proud of her. I think that one of the main reasons I'm proud of my mom is that her childhood was very traumatic, but she went into this project without having ever been in a therapy session and having none of the modern vernacular of that our generation grew up with that understands things like boundaries and denial and trauma. She doesn't have that vocab. So I'm, I'm really proud of her and thankful to her that she was willing to undertake this. The result of that process is greater safety between me and my mom our relationship has improved, but it was hard to go through it. And now it's really hard to share, but I believe it's valuable. I believe that sexual abuse in general is discussed 
but the reality of it and how it affects young people, I it's just not a... We don't have a wealth of knowledge on it. And there's so much shame on top of it that people just don't really speak up for themselves as advocates because of the shame, I think. So I seem to have gotten over some of that shame. And if I could help anyone with the process of getting healed in this area of life, well, then I would feel like I was doing part of what Jesus has for me to do, you know? So I'm gonna share it with y'all, <laughs> with all y'all. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully it'll be an edifying podcast. <laughs> Sherlock, he's in. He's 100% here for me. And so this first conversation with my mom, I it opens with me asking about this story from her childhood. Because my mother's childhood was so unique, uh, her experience was extreme poverty and extreme addiction. And I grew up with them. You know, I grew up with these these offhanded stories my mom would tell that were like from a, a nightmare. I felt that starting with one of her stories would set the stage for empathy for my mom and shed light as to how abuse gets carried down through families throughout the generations. So yeah, here we go. Episode 1, Season 2, Jesus Likes Girls. Thanks for listening. So this might sound strange as an intro, but I was curious if you would tell the bag of kitten stories from your childhood. You mean puppies? Those puppies. Oh my gosh. I was really young. How young were you when that happened? I think I might have been maybe, I want to say eight or nine. Yeah. And so what happened? Why did you have them? Well, we had this dog. Her name was Princess, and she was always getting caught by the neighborhood dogs. And she always had so many puppies. And then she just had a litter. And I think there must have been, I don't know, 12 or 14. There was a lot of puppies. And my dad was so upset because of all the dogs he said there's no way we're going to be able to get rid of them keep them so by the time he got home he wanted all of them gone except maybe i can't remember i think we kept one or two and so my mother put all these puppies in a big plastic bag they were just little tiny things and no one, my mother, she was so upset to do it and no one would help her. And she told me, Catherine, you get over there and you pump, because we had a pump, we didn't have running water. And I had to pump the water into the bag and watch these little things just <laughs> gasping. <laughs> yeah, just drowning in that. I don't remember, um, I don't remember what she did afterward. I don't even remember filling up the whole bag. I just remember just pumping and looking at these little puppies and just drowning in all that water. Were you <sighs> crying? I don't think so, because I think I kind of, I don't know, just because I don't remember the end of it. So I think I just like, I didn't even look anymore. I just kept pumping and just to block it out. If I didn't see it, it wasn't happening. How sad, eh? Those poor little things. 
And then I think about my poor Ma, how she must have felt, you know, because I'm sure she must have dug a hole and buried them all in the yard. And did she have to do it because your dad would have? Oh, he would have been. Oh, yeah, it had to get done that day. He would have been violent. Oh, he would have been very upset. I don't know what he would have done to the puppies. Or your mom. Or my mom. <laughs> yeah, you, you just never know. But the only time I ever saw him really get violent is when he was drinking. But, but in a situation I, I, like that where yeah. he's demanded, he wanted an end result. He didn't want those puppies at the house. And so it had to happen. So it had to happen. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I brought up that story because we're talking about me being in a, a sexually abusive relationship through my childhood. And so I brought up that story because honestly, mom, I don't think you ever intended to hurt me. Oh man. I don't think that you ever intended for that to happen to me. I don't think you ever intended to not see that it was happening to me. You know, why I brought it up is because I believe that you loved me and that you tried as hard as you knew how to provide a secure, safe, loving, clean home for me and for Derek. I think that you did. I believe that. I just want you to know that I know that. I don't doubt your love for me. I know you don't. And I never have. I know. I know that. But those things happened to me. They did. And I think that your own childhood, like I think that your own experiences, that you didn't have the tools or the awareness. I think our stories are tied in with each other's. So I'm just starting off that way because I feel like Kathy Minor was this young girl born into poverty in 1950 into a one-room shack. I mean, it's that poor, right? We were, we were... <sighs> You had no running water until you were 18? No, right. until 16. 16. Yeah. So we're talking about, and there were five children and, and two and adults. no indoor plumbing. No indoor plumbing. You had that double-seater outhouse, which was considered kind of upper scale. <laughs> with, the, with the current newspapers at hand. <laughs> and a corn cob. No, I don't know if you know. There was no corn cob, but there were bear claws on the outside. Right, from when it got mauled by a bear once. Um, while someone was using it. While someone was using it. <laughs> I'm in here. So this is Upper Michigan, 1950. You're born. When did you live in Dollarville? I lived in Dollarville. Well, that's when we, well, when I say Newberry, that means Dollarville. And how yeah. old were you when you moved there? I think I was about, well, we were living in Bud Browning's house and when Brenda died. And I think I was uh, four or five. Okay. So very young. You moved very young. Dollarville, oh, yeah. Michigan. Oh, yeah. And, and don't blink your eye because you'll miss it. It's a tiny place. It's, yeah, there were there were no stores. It was just two bars and uh, just a small strip of houses. A few houses. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 20, 25, maybe. And you were there from four to when did you leave? 16. Four to 16. So the majority of your childhood was in a two-room house? Yes. My dad tore out all of the petitions out of the house. So it made it one big room. It made it one big room, and then the back room was another room. And their bed and our beds were divided by a cloth. A piece of cloth. Yeah, that you pulled back and forth. That makes me so sad, Mom. <laughs> well, not really when you think about it. It's... 
Mom. Well, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes me so we, yeah, but, sad. But we had a house. We had a house, and my dad always worked, even though, you know, he, he tried to be a good man, but it wasn't always the case. Yeah. So you got to look. It made, makes me um, appreciate what I have now. I mean, I got a house now with three bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember no cloth in between. <laughs> I remember the story of when you, because you were a great student, mm -hmm. and when you want, you went to tour Lake Superior State, and you saw the flushing toilets and the sinks, and you thought to yourself, "I'm gonna have this stuff. <laughs> I'm staying here." So yeah, you were born into that family and into that setting, and it was sort of like a, I think of Little House on the Prairie, but like on LSD. Like, it's really bad. <laughs> it's a bad trip. We never looked at it that way. Well, when, you, when you say we, I think you mean I. I think other members of your family thought didn't. it was bad. Oh, you know, maybe you're right. I'm not really sure what they all thought, but I, I, one of the remarkable things about you, Mom, is that you remain optimistic. That you remained capable and able to get yourself out of the situation and create the family that you did. Like that's really remarkable for people who were deeply traumatized in their childhood, like you were. And I, I know you may not think of it that way. I mean, that puppy story alone, like just fucking, like that is hellish. That's hellish. What you guys went through in that house for so long. It's like, I mean, it's like a nightmare, mom. Yeah, it's certain. It was. it was. It was. It absolutely was. But you always had this, I mean, your coping skills to get out of there and to remain loving, to remain kind, to remain hopeful. That's not common, Mom. It's not. <laughs> I'm no saint. All I know <laughs> is that I, I just knew that when I got older, that I would never have a man ever hit me. And all I ever wanted to be in my whole life was a mom. I just wanted to be a good mom. And to, to realize now, well, not now, but since I found out um, that I failed, well, that's kind of <laughs> cuts me. But you got to know, if I had any inclination, any at all, you know, that would never have, I would have, I would have been even worse knowing it was a family member i know but you did know i didn't well you said you had walked in and you had seen the two of us in kind of a compromised situation once you've said that to me i know if i would no 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 i have no recollection of you two ever being like, what does that even mean? Compromised position. I don't know. You've never been explicit about what you saw, but you said you saw something. You didn't think it was okay. Well, either age has taken that memory away from me because I don't ever remember that. Okay, okay. That's fine. It's but, good that we're talking about things. Yes. Because it'll clarify some things. We're talking at what age? When I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like you're saying, when you saw us? Well, supposedly. Supposedly? I don't know. Okay. I mean, I don't... I have very few memories from childhood. Oh, you got lots of memories. You just... They're just clouded by all of this stuff that has 
kind of taken over. It's it's pushed out. Well, I'm the- just letting you know that's how I feel. When I think about childhood and try to remember like what age was I, what happened, I have like vague pictures of times. And then if they were recurring times, those all just kind of become one time. Like I I don't have the best memory of childhood. I really don't. I know that every summer we would go up Mm -hmm. and every fall they'd come down. And every fall. So that was twice a year. Twice a year. And I always knew that you, you guys always played together very well. Even with Derek, you yeah. guys always, it always seemed like you guys, um, best friends, best friends. You always had fun. You always laughed. Mm-hmm. Um, you played dolls together. We were inseparable. Yeah. Best friends. Best friends. hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Underneath this umbrella of deception, which. Well, I mean, she was she an old, she's an older kid. She was four years older. Yeah. So like probably for me, if it started around five, she was probably around 10. And at that point, I think she was just acting out. I think of what was happening to her as a kid. And later when I talked to her, cause we've had conversations and we've met together to talk. She told me that she picked me because she was jealous of me. And because of our family. Yeah, because when she would visit, we were stable, we were happy. And so, so remember when she would steal little things from our house? Well, I really think like (laughs) in some ways she was trying to steal me. Like she wanted a piece of our family that she could, that would be hers. You know, just like when she was stealing little things, she decided to target me. And I mean, her family life also is the echoes of the childhood that you and her mom share was and that's why those cycles continue like you look at joanne who did she choose feels like home you're gonna kill me perfect i know that you know and that's again why i say like you yourself not choosing it choosing something different is remarkable really is mom but it's what i what i realized at some point in it the first time it ever happened to me and i was really little like i was terrified I was terrified. How do I not, how do I not hate her? (laughs) You know, I, I, mom, I'm so sorry. But listen, hating her, what are we talking about? We're talking about this interconnected story. I know, but I still can feel, (laughs) I still, what she did to my baby. Why couldn't you ever come to me? Why didn't you come to me the first time? I don't know. We were so close. I couldn't even leave the house to go shopping by myself. You would hang on to my leg and your dad would have to pull you off of me. Right. But what age was that? You were, maybe maybe that's before it happened. Three, they had to be three or four. You were pretty young. I was just little. I I mean, it's hard for me to try to hear like, why didn't you tell me? Because I was just a kid. You know, like I know, but scary things like, well, listen to me. I'm, I'm asking, I'm telling you, why couldn't you talk to me? I never even told my dad about that guy that took me out in the woods with this, you know, with his son. I, I was so afraid. You know why? You know why? I think. I think in perspective, when we're little, we always think that whatever happens to us is our fault. Mm-hmm. You always feel like. God, what did I do? Oh, I can't tell anyone. Oh my God. What did, you know, you, you always think it's your fault. Well, you know what? There is one memory I have of me trying to talk to you about it. 
I was, we're still on Patton, and I remember coming out to you in the kitchen, and I thought you were mad at me. I thought you were mad at me about something. And in my brain, in my kid brain, I thought, she's mad because she knows what happened last night. I, that's what I thought. And so I said to you, are you mad at me? And you said, is there something I should be mad at you for? And I was like, no. And that's all we said. I'd like to go back in that time and just hear that conversation again. And so I felt like something bad, like I was doing something bad. That's how I always felt. But honestly, the other part of it is I didn't think about it. I thought about it while it happened. But then the next morning, I was just with my best friend. I didn't, we didn't talk about whatever happened. We never mentioned it ever. It just happened at night. But the two of us never talked about it. We never acknowledged it as happening. And neither did my parents. So I never really thought, I never thought about it. I just went along with my life otherwise, you know. And that's what it was like. And so I think my brain was working double time as a young kid to maintain like this isn't happening and everything is fine, <laughs> you know? Okay, so if we only got together, well, I know, twice a year, yeah. how were you? You seemed very happy the rest of the time. Well, again, Mom. You had so many friends and... I was happy. I told you. I loved you. I loved Dad. I felt like everything was fine. I'm telling you that my mind and my life in general never acknowledged what was happening to me. I didn't acknowledge it. No one acknowledged it. So it was almost like I just learned... There's a secret bad thing that no one knows. And I mean, you watch that play out as I grew up, where I still behaved that way, where I was doing well in school and all of these things, but then I had to have like a secret bad thing that was dangerous to me, had to have it. Like I had to have both. And again, oh, sweetheart, I'm so, I'm so sad. It makes me so sad to hear all this. It really is sad. It is sad. It's sad. But so, I mean, it's all sad. The whole, everybody's story in this equation, there's so much sadness. There's so much heartache, you know, like all through the story and everybody's life played out in totally different ways, you know? Well, now I'm hoping that you are able to let this sadness not be stowed away or anything, but to let the, your inner strength make you feel strong so that you will tell yourself, well, I'm blessed to be in a secure marriage, a marriage that's been without violence, a marriage that's so full of love. You guys love each other so much. And all that strength, you know, you've already, you might not even realize it, but you've already crossed that hurdle, one of the hurdles anyway. And you have, you have been the best mother. You've made me look like a bad mother. All the <laughs> things you do with your children, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Having children was all I ever wanted. And that was taken away from me at a very young age because I would have had more. I, that's all I ever wanted was children. That was my goal in life and to be a good mom, but maybe God knew something better than <laughs> since I was so blindsided, maybe. Oh well, my mom, God. 
gosh. Mom. But but the thing is, is not obviously I I told you and dad this and you're both heartbroken. You're not saying you could say anything you want to. You could you could have said, I'm tired of you bringing this up. If this is in the past, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. You could have said that. Oh, but I would. But I'm saying there's there's all kinds of reasons that dysfunction continues. And it's one of the main ones is because no one will talk about it. No one will talk about it. And so I think that you were given two children. I don't think God cut you off. I think you had a bad doctor and a terrible decision made by a doctor. You know, I, I see you as this person in our house when we we're young, just cleaning and making beds and cooking from scratch every night and beautiful flower. Like you wanted to create something beautiful. That's what you wanted. And you didn't, if you had a toolbox for being raised in a healthy family with parents who took responsibility and loved you well. So your toolbox would have had zero tools. And that you say, I failed you. I was such a bad mom compared to you. What did you see, mom? Who taught you how to be a good parent? Who taught you that? Well, I appreciate you saying I was a good parent because that's what I really wanted to hear. <laughs> Um, probably an inner belief, a desire to change things strongly from when I grew up. And I was, I was always asking God's help. As a child? As a child. Oh, I wanted to be a nun. I even went to <laughs> Sister Louisa, 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 whatever her name was. I remember from after catechism and telling her I wanted to be a nun. And she, she just, she was wonderful. <laughs> She always, she told me, no, you're pretty young. She said, but always keep Jesus in your heart. And um, that to me was probably, I mean, thank God I didn't become a nun. <laughs> that would have been, could you imagine what a habit that would have been? <laughs> All right, we're glad you didn't cloister yourself. Very glad. I know. I wouldn't have you or Derek. But you probably would have been a great nun, Mom, honestly. I probably would have been. So you had you had grace on your life from young age. Oh, I used to walk from home from Dollarville all the way to Newberry every Sunday to go to church. By yourself? A lot of times I did. Oh. Yeah. And why? Because I, I don't know. I just did. What did you think? What did you think? Like, I have to do what? No, it wasn't like I had to. It's like I I was drawn there. I wanted to. Mm. And every once in a while, one of my sisters would come with me. But we, if daddy wasn't taking us to church, I'd walk. I'd walk to church. That was a long way for a little girl with little legs. Well, you know, being the short one in the family, I had to walk double time. Right. <laughs> All the way from Dollarville to Newberry to St. Gregory's Church. Holy crap. But um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I had an inner strength. Yeah, you did. I, and I've always felt it. Yeah. I've always felt that I, if I wanted to do something, I could do it. But I still had a lot of self-doubt, you know, 
thinking. Sure, you got an empty toolbox. An empty toolbox. You got zero. Just like my dad wouldn't even come to my graduation. I mean, I was so happy because here I graduated with honors. I had a gold tassel. And he said, oh, and I was going to go to Michigan State. Yeah. And he said. You got a scholarship, right? No. I, I got you got a scholarship. No, I had grants. Oh. We were poor. So we got grants. I know. But sometimes when you're really poor, that's when you get a scholarship but in any I, case i, I might have had some other monies because how could i ever afford to go to michigan state, state? You so, could I, not. so i must have had I, you had some kind of assistance yeah i must have yeah but my dad wouldn't even go to graduation because he said i was just showing off <laughs> you know <laughs> And I know I, it sounds like I talk bad about my dad. Mom, no, and it I, doesn't. You rarely ever say anything negative about the man. When you talk, when you say talk bad, all you're doing is telling the truth. But when you talk about him, his own actions are the things that condemn him. His own words out of his mouth are his words, not your responsibility. That was him. Yeah, it was him. It was him. Damn, dad. Your dad was a mean son of a bitch he could be <laughs> but you know how we deal with things and the people around us that help us make you such a stronger person and a better person and i i still am insecure in a lot of ways but i fight it back because i i don't want to see my kids hurt it's like i want you to fight i don't want you to i don't want you to be sad no more from this i want you to just say yeah that was that was my life back then, just like my life back then. And I saw many of bad things in my life back then, but I'm so happy it's a beautiful sunny day today and I'm with you and that's not gonna take that away from me. I'm, I'm, I appreciate the state, I appreciate you. And you know, sometimes you just gotta be happy in the moment. Sure, who doesn't love being happy in the moment? I love being happy in the moment. I don't like being around people that aren't happy. I don't like being around people who get loud, are drunk, mean. It, it brings me back in a dark place. I avoid it. I don't, it's not like I'm running away from it. I don't need it. I don't need it in my life. I don't want it in my life. All I want are things that bless me. I, you know, I'm 70 what, two? Oh God. It's been a rough year for me, health-wise, you know? So I, I, whatever I have left, I just want to see happiness. Well, I think that about wraps it up for today. Okay. I love you. I love you more. So that was my mother's cheery take on the whole thing. Let's be happy in the moment. That's the stuff of gurus right there, man. But seriously, there's more to talk about. The moment after the puppy story, I asked my mom if she had cried, but she said no, that she'd looked away because if she didn't see it, it wasn't happening. Denial is a coping mechanism and a damn good one. Thank God for denial. It gets small children through intense poverty and violence. Coping mechanisms get a bad rap, but I for one am a fan. It's learning how to use coping mechanisms as an adult. That's the tricky part. As children, we're completely given over to them, but it's been shown that when we begin to cope with trauma, we shut down our feelings because they're too much to bear at the time. But we're not five anymore, and when our coping mechanisms rule us, it seems that we really can't give or receive love very well at all. 
we're still coping, we're still protecting ourselves many times when we don't need to. Most of us will acknowledge that the childish ways of living life don't work so well when you're the one raising the family. So we must learn to master our ways of coping in this life, realizing when we are unable to and being safe when we do need to escape. Join us next time as I push harder against denial. And thank you for listening.